0: We're back. It's Intelligame Radio, coming to you live from an assumedly internet-enabled device somewhere that's important to you. Yeah, we've got those distribution channels down pat. And yeah, I know, I know everyone has a podcast, right? I mean, there have been jokes about how you've got to check out my podcast is the modern-day equivalent of, hey, you've got to come see my band, or hey, you should come to my Tupperware party, or Hey, you should read this new book that I published directly to an ebook platform with no editing of any kind. But this is different. I promise. It's at least been edited. Slightly. So yes, welcome to Intelligame Radio. And you heard that correctly, this show is now going by the title Intelligame Radio. For one, it feels a little less generic than the Intelligame Podcast, which I felt was perhaps a bit regal, but still didn't quite reach the tone I think this program is looking for. Secondly, I think this helps make some space for other IntelliGame branded podcast content as it arrives, something we're definitely gonna be taking on in 2020. Now, getting to the nitty gritty of the show, let me give you a quick breakdown of our episode format. Each show starts with an interview, talking with a person who has something to bring to the space. From there, I do a director's cut reading of an IntelliGame article. A reading that includes some bits and pieces of background and other funny notes along the way. Afterwards, we'll wrap with a game recommendation, give you a title to keep on the lookout for. Now, this week's interview is with Jenny Wyndham, the curator for our monthly game discussion group, IntelliGame Club. Perhaps she's better known as Kim Chica but Jenny's been part of the IntelliGame community for years, and she's taking on a new role as part of the IG team. I wanted to start off our relaunch of the podcast with a discussion with her. She's an indie game streamer on her Twitch channel, curates Let's Plays and Watch Lists on her YouTube channel, and she's also the community dev for Rose City Games here in Portland, Oregon, which keeps her pretty busy. But I also feel like her mission has always been from basically the moment I met her really strongly aligned with mine and the mission of IntelliGame, to be able to bring quality, informative, educational entertainment to the space, and also to help people make connections between games and the world around them. So over the course of this discussion, we'll talk a bit about her experiences working in games, but also working as an educator in public schools, and the ways that she hopes to bring some good change to IntelliGame Club with the experience that she's gained along the way. By the way, if you appreciate the work that happens here at Intelligame across all of our various channels, I would encourage you to become a backer on Patreon. Patreon's a platform where for as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the work that we do here. Swing over to patreon.com slash intelligame us and go ahead and get started. We have been able to gather a ton of great support and thank all of our patrons up to this point. I hope that we grow even larger in 2020. Hey Jenny welcome to the interview.
1: Hey I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah it's interesting I mean you've been part of all sorts of Intelligame content in the past but have we have we done a podcast interview together before?
1: I don't think so I don't think this in this way I've definitely done introductions before but I've never gotten to sit you know I guess across the digital table from you in this way.
0: (laughs) Well you know I'm Glad to have the opportunity to, to chat with you and to, I guess, learn a little bit about you. I I feel like over the past couple of years, as we've gotten to know each other, I've, I've heard so many interesting things about sort of you and your background. And I just think this could be a really cool opportunity to sort of share with the Intelligame community a little bit about what drives you to do the work you do. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about... How you got started in games, like not not as a business, but as a passion. Like what what brought you to gaming as a as something you were interested in?
1: Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I think like so many people in games, I grew up playing games, so they were really present for most of my life. Uh, I grew up and when I was younger with my brother, we would play a lot of games, just sort of sitting next to each other, usually ending up in arguments because we were kids. <laughs> and so um, but we would we would play games together all the time. And what was interesting is I fell out of gaming in college. I actually you know, I started feeling like the games that were coming out or the games that I was experiencing weren't for me and I thought maybe I just wasn't a gamer anymore kind of with capital G. Um and It wasn't until after college I left and I started playing uh, this game called To the Moon that completely, it just moved me and just took over one of my weekends and changed the way I thought about games. And so that was when I started uh, diving into this little niche part of the industry called indie games. And ultimately that tied into more wholesome games and games with sort of a narrative focus and maybe perhaps a more... um, some would say like artistic goal. And that just kind of led into me just playing more games and finding other ways to get involved with the industry because I was so moved by that experience. Um, I just, I couldn't stay away anymore.
0: I wonder, you know, what is it about To The Moon that, uh, that was so inspirational for you?
1: You know that's a I think the immediate thing was it had it wasn't a first person shooter of any kind. <laughs> I think those were the times and days where like Destiny, I mean Destiny's still huge, but Destiny had like just come out. Everyone was playing I just felt like everyone was playing games that were so quick and had activities that I did not want to participate in. Like I have no interest in in shooting things. You know, I think there are there's a lot of fun to be had in that kind of game, but I just had no personal interest in it. And my type of games that I absolutely loved when I was a kid was like Harvest Moon or Final Fantasy, where those definitely had either already very strong narratives or had the space to create a story of your own making. Like Harvest Moon, I had so much just inner... <laughs> inner lore that I would create for the town and my characters. And To the Moon was the first game that I had ever experienced since those young days where it it was slow paced. You could kind of walk and explore as you needed and the game would progress as you wanted it to. But it was also a love story, which I found really profound. Um, I think to this day, it's one of my favorite love stories in gaming, and it also accessed something that was more bittersweet, which was an emotion that I hadn't felt in a game ever before. I think maybe the closest I came to it was like in Final Fantasy VII, in that pivotal moment, you know, when uh, <laughs> that I won't spoil since. Is there, I was going to say spoiler
0: <laughs> with, with the remake there or the, yeah, with the remake on yeah, the
1: Yeah, which is, side note, so fascinating that it's something that we kind of grew up knowing and for our generation is not a spoiler but for the like new generation of people playing this game and haven't experienced it yet is absolutely a spoiler sure. so I think that's as a side note I think very fascinating but yeah it was just it it accessed this more nuanced feeling that I had not felt in a game before it didn't go for that low-hanging fruit of like blow things up and feel strong
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean there's there's no doubt the the sort of idea of video game is power fantasy and it's still something that happens today but i think a lot of folks assume until they get into the space that that's all video games have to offer Mm -hmm. or you know as a sort of casual escapism you're playing mario party guitar hero something like that Mm -hmm. Um, but it's great to see these opportunities in spaces where where games have taken this sort of deep dive into emotional content
1: yeah it's well and it's so interesting because like I absolutely love games for that reason. You know, like I love going into, um, you know, like Path of Exile and just feeling really OP and blowing everything up on the screen. And that's great. But <laughs> I found that as a player, more than anything, I really love the opportunity, kind of like books, but in a more interactive way that games allow me to explore stories that perhaps that I've experienced and I want to sort of be able to reflect on in a different way uh, maybe slight, slightly separate from myself so I can maybe take a step back and look at it from a new lens or experience stories that I had no idea existed and now they it's piqued my interest and I can maybe use that as a jumping point for more reflection or research or something like that
0: it seems like a lot of this this focus is kind of tied into your um, your personal concept of game curation so mm-hmm. You know, there's work that you do for Intelligame that we'll talk about a little bit later. But before we even met, you were already running your own YouTube channel <laughs> yeah. where you uh, curate indie games. Do you want to talk about how you find the titles and and choose the titles that you uh, highlight on your channel?
1: Gosh, it's so funny because I think I've been doing that for so long now. Um, it's it's like kind of this ingrained process that I do. when every time I go on the computer, I started doing this channel because. I realized I wanted to find indie games, and at the time, I mean, there were channels curating indie games, but it seemed to be a lot of like, here's everything that released this month, and it was just a huge amount of games, uh, which is great because it was provided me the resource of looking at things, but I wanted something that was a little bit more curated in the sense of not just indie games, but games that particularly fit a specific mood or tone. And perhaps even like had certain value sets like wholesomeness. (laughs) And uh, so I began my process oh so long ago by just scouring the up and coming games of Steam. So there's filters on Steam that you can use where it's like you can filter by genres, but also things that are coming soon or things that have released in the last week. And so a lot of times when I started, I just filtered via that. A lot of changes have happened to Steam and the way that they they curate and filter and pr- allow games to participate in their storefront. And so that source has actually become less and less helpful for me. Um, I'm finding I am using spaces like itch.io to look up indie games, um, as well as just current events and festivals in the game industry, um, which lately I've been reflecting on because I feel like there's now so many indie games, There, there's almost two tiers of indies. You have the indies that are almost what we call double A. Sure. Uh, <laughs> or what is it? Triple I. Triple I. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the indies that are, you know, then those are the ones that are most likely will be talked about, will be kind of hyped up. Uh, those are the indie darlings, you kind of call them. From sure. the media, ones
0: made by like mid-sized studios or yes. people who have a bunch of notoriety.
1: Yes, and so you have like a sort of exactly people with the name brand, perhaps already associated with it, uh, and then you have the true indies that really may not be discovered. And so, actually, a question I've been grappling with lately is how do I delineate between the two perhaps and because there is a difference and I want to still focus on games that may not be discovered by the general population and what's really great is that there are a huge number of channels now that both highlight indie games as a whole as well as focus on specific niches. Wholesome Games, they have a Twitter and a Discord and I absolutely love the people who run it and it's a whole community dedicated to wholesome and cozy titles which you know, was not around back in my day.
0: <laughs> back in my day.
1: <laughs> so it's kind of incredible. Um, I've seen, and I don't remember because I just discovered it yesterday, but like there's a h- indie horror game community that focused oh, wow. just on horror titles and like scary games. And so what I love is that now it probably is much easier for someone who does have an interest to go in and search for these specific niches just on like YouTube for example, or Twitter, and find lists of developers to follow and games to keep an eye on. So I kind of utilize all of that <laughs> to, to really curate what I see. Um, and honestly, working in the industry helps, you know, it's a very small world. So we, we all kind of share our projects with each other and, and want to help and bolster one another if possible.
0: I feel like I've noticed kind of over time that you have this blending of your, your game work, which, you know, does have that, that mission, the focus mm-hmm. of highlighting indies, but you've also done a number of different kinds of work that speak to your sort of importance of personal advocacy as well, um, and social issues. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, working as a, as an educator in Alaska, mm-hmm. um, uh, can you talk a little bit about why you've decided to take work in games as an opportunity to, to make some of those social shifts?
1: Yeah, I think... I mean, as as selfish as it sounds, part of it is I love games and I also love education. You know, I think it's important that this work is done. So selfishly, I wanted to combine all of it so that I could have all of these things that I care about in my life. <laughs> um, You know, the level of that sort of, what is it, millennial efficiency, I feel like. Sure. The, the blessing and curse of our existence. Uh, ultimately, I found that in the classroom, anytime I brought in games, um, whether it was to set up a Minecraft server for my students to use as like creative writing uh, starting points or collaborative projects, um, anytime I brought in like Assassin's Creed to debate, you know, and, and explore the the elements of truth as well as fiction when taking historical events and putting them in a media form, you know the st- students that I had were all infinitely more engaged because, you know, they also are love, they love video games and inherently video games are an interactive, engaging medium, which is really valuable for students who are disengaged or maybe not as involved in the school system. Um, but really it's good for any student because I mean, who wouldn't want to have video games in their classroom? And so, um, For me, it began initially because it was a, a teaching tool to allow students not connected to the school system, which in a lot of the schools I worked at were had high percentage of students who were considered at risk for various things. This allowed them to stay engaged and feel invested in a system that perhaps otherwise was not catering to them or allowing them to feel successful. And as I came back to the mainland US the lower 48 as we sort of deemed deemed the rest of the US I continued to do that in my teaching practice and it honestly leaving the school system was a really tough decision for me because I I love I love my kids in fact it's been years but I still think of them as my kids and I still keep in touch with some of them but I per- this was more of a personal burnout situation where I think I was just putting too many hours in and so It just coincided with an opportunity I received in games to work in the industry itself. And after working in games and not education, I just needed to find a way to blend the two because I missed education so much. So there's just that personal element too. I think it just became a need for me to do it because I I missed having both in my life.
0: Yeah, there is something about, I guess, that millennial experience or... (laughs) Of, of, well, I, I have to do my passion as my work, otherwise what am right. I doing? Right? <laughs> um, and not, you know, obviously not everybody experiences these, these kinds of focuses the same way, but I think it's fairly evident from the ways that you curate the, uh, the titles that you do. Uh, that there's a, a sort of mission beyond just talking about whatever the the newest, greatest game is that came out, but also trying to help people have a better understanding of what games are capable of, perhaps uh, leading them to their own uh, to the moon style moments mm-hmm. for, uh, for whatever individual game.
1: Yeah, that's the goal. I think it's kind of funny. It's like with I felt the same with books, actually, when I was a teacher and, you know, I had students come up to me and say, like, oh, I hate reading. I don't know if I can find ever a book that I would like. And one of my favorite things to do is recommend books to them. Uh, And I found that that same joy happens to me when I'm able to recommend games to people. Like anytime, especially people who don't play games, they're like, oh, you know, I have friends who come up to me saying they don't play games. They have no idea what to even start with. They see their brothers or sisters playing Destiny and they just don't know if they could do that. And I have just a handy list of (laughs) titles that I'm like, oh, try this or this or this and you know, for some people, they just don't aren't interested in the medium, and that's cool. But for the folks who are interested and want to play games but don't know where to start, one of my favorite things to do is recommend a title to them.
0: <laughs> well, we'll definitely ask you for some recommendations there at the, uh, at the end of yeah. the show. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I just recently recorded a podcast talking about some of those different ways that showing somebody the right game can make a, a big shift. Uh, Florence is very much that game for me. And we played that actually on... Uh, on stream just last week Mm -hmm. but that game is is a little heavier than i remembered it's very (laughs) heavy (laughs) uh yeah the ability for for a game to be able to dive in and uh for florence for instance where it takes this idea of sort of just a a slice of life story but then also somehow hits this emotional resonance for for like relationships Mm -hmm. and trying to find yourself uh it's such a good game it's intense. Oh, this this medium that we that we take part in is so beautiful.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I, it's funny because Florence. I mean, I don't know. I I love baths. <laughs> I like I just the way that I relax. And it's funny because I vividly remember when I first played Florence because it had it was the day it had released on the app store. And I had been looking forward to it for some time because I'd followed their Twitter. And so I was like, oh, it's a game, you know, lovely mobile game about a woman and her relationships. And I'm just going to take a relaxing bath and and play it. And I just remember. Oh, that's
0: nice. You had a place to, you know, hide your tears.
1: Literally just sitting in the tub, (laughs) filling it with my own tears. Like, oh, my gosh. It's so it was so beautiful. But I remember just like crying in the tub. (laughs) Which sounds yeah. so sad, but it was but it was <laughs> such a profound, it was one of those moments, you know, like, like when I finished to the moon, or when I played Florence, like I, those are emotions and memories that are just like burned into me that I will never forget, <clears throat> just because they were so impactful.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think some of this leads into uh, a bit of the work that you're going to be doing for Intelligame. Uh, you're coming on as the, the Intelli Game Club curator, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm excited for and thankful for. And for Intelli Game Club, for folks who may not know, we've run essentially a sort of book club style uh, interaction with games. We choose a book every or I'm sorry, we choose a game every month, and we play through it, and then we've talked about it on stream. Uh, with Jenny taking it over, we're going to change the format up a little bit. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, about the future of Intelli Game Club?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So what's been really interesting? I mean, you and I have talked a lot about pace in twenty twenty uh, and consumption pace, and so certainly. Thinking about when when you asked me about IntelliGame Club and taking it on and sort of what, what I'd like to see with it, one thing that I found really profound was the idea of perhaps changing the pace in which people are able to consume IntelliGame Club and and perhaps even take it with them to their own communities. And so one form that I've been really appreciating is podcasts and the ability that podcasts have for me to be able to tune in when I feel like I can. And pause it, and you know, maybe take a break if I need to, as well as um, the ability podcasts have to be shared with others and easily, sort of accessible. Uh, I love streaming, but I f- I find that it's still this kind of foreign thing to a lot of people. Um, I th- I think we forget what a bubble we are in, participating in streaming communities, whether it's on Twitch or Mixer, any number of the other streaming platforms, with again, kind of my goal of bringing games to everyone who wants to play games. Um, If they're interested, I feel like they should have that ability to access it. I think podcasts are a great medium for that. And with the format, what we're hoping to do is not just play the game and have one discussion about it, but first provide context. So each game um, will have a two-episode Sort of month long or bi weekly arc, where the first episode we'll be talking with the creator of that game, hopefully, uh, talking with them about their intentions, their goals, their hopes for the title, and maybe some of the fun stories that I'm sure happened during the development process. And with that um, first episode, we'll also set the context for the questions and themes that we'll be exploring. We wanted to, um, you know, be respectful not only of time, but budget and resources, so making sure these games are accessible as possible in those ways as well. And with the second episode of The Arc, bringing in folks, not just, you know, you and me to discuss the game, but additional people from the industry, from outside of the industry, or maybe even first-time players who experienced this game for the first time to talk about the themes questions and and ideas that we presented in that first episode so yeah
0: I, I guess like you said streaming is is great I, I love it and I love the the community that we've put together on Twitch uh, but it is difficult to access if you're not available right at that time we have uh you know Intelligame community members who aren't on the west coast so staying up until 9 10 11 o'clock at night to be able to catch programming can be pretty intense Mm -hmm. um but the flip side of it is that uh by having this this podcast format people can get it whenever they want to and it also i think gives us an opportunity to curate the the direction of the content so that's a little more evergreen Mm -hmm. um you know i as much as i love that streams are archived and that you can watch them whenever you want to i always feel this like twinge of oh but i'm I wasn't there when it was actually happening. So, you know, I don't get to be part of the conversation. Whereas I think that the cool thing about this this podcast format is that we'll be curating the conversation direction uh, to be great for folks, regardless of uh, when they're accessing it.
1: Something that you just brought to my mind as well about streams that that I kind of also think about a lot is when facilitating conversation on stream, it, it feels almost similar to a classroom in that... I mean, I guess in a classroom, you know the students who are there, which is sure. really great. But on a stream, you you don't necessarily know who is there. Um, and you might have like a couple people or a few people participating very actively. But because they're participating actively, perhaps someone who's newer to the channel or maybe not as comfortable sharing their thoughts in chat or in the immediate moment but needs time to reflect and think, hopefully the podcast provides people that ability because I remember just being a teacher in a classroom and, you know, there's always a couple of students who you know have really great thoughts but maybe aren't comfortable sharing in the moment but come to you later and they share these gems that you wish they had said. And I think a podcast format perhaps will allow folks who maybe who lurk intentionally on stream and but still want to participate in some way—that opportunity to be a part of the conversation versus having to be there again, like you said, in the moment, actively talking immediately.
0: Absolutely, and we'll provide spaces for uh, for some of that asymmetrical discussion as well. We'll of course have the IntelliGame Club channel on the Discord, uh, which folks are anybody is uh, is welcome to join. And then you know over time we may experiment with some different ways that uh, people can contribute in discussion as well. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be starting Club here in February. Do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, first curation selection?
1: Yeah, I am really excited about this first one. So for the very first game, I decided to reach out to Davion Gooden, and he is a developer and the founder of Studios of and working on for a few years now the game called She Dreams Elsewhere. I've been looking at this game or following this game for yeah, a couple of years now, I feel like, and it is about a woman named Thalia who has a lot of anxiety, has a lot of inner conflict um, that she's working through. And the game is actually this really surreal RPG um, where you play as Thalia and sort of work through a lot of her, her sort of inner conflicts. There isn't a whole lot more on the description, um, and the game is unique, and I think I'm interested to see how this goes, because it's not the full game yet. It's still in development, but there is a demo that is available for free, which is why I found this really exciting, because then folks can play this for free. And so we'll be talking to Davion in just, just a little bit, and um, learning more about his process, and yeah, I've been very impressed with his work, not only just as a I think this is first game as well, first time dev. Um, But he does a beautiful job of integrating not only unique and stylistic art, but music and sort of making this world feel very real. And so even amidst the surreal sort of fantasy elements.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. I know that there are a number of folks who have been trying to keep this game on their radar. And I am excited to see sort of what narratively comes from even just exploring the demo right the idea Mm -hmm. with a a demo is that it's this little vertical slice you want to get a concept of not just what the game's going to play like but also sort of emotionally what's it going to convey how does the story impact the ways that uh, that we go through the process and i hope i'm I'm excited to be able to to share that experience with you and with the rest of the IntelliGame community
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's a beautiful game. So folks who are listening now actually have a sneak peek and could even start playing now if they wanted to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, where would folks be able to uh, to find the demo? Is it just on Steam or uh, is there a standalone website they can go to?
1: Um, I believe it's on Steam. It is on Itch. And I am fairly sure uh, if you go to uh there are links to the demo on that standalone page as well.
0: Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for us to share this new, like, style of IGC with the community. Uh, the episode's going to drop February 14th, and you'll see some information about how to pick up that episode, as well as the context discussion questions that Jenny talked about in the days before the episode drops. So mm-hmm. keep an eye out on the website, Intelegame.us or on uh, social media or on the Discord to, uh, to get that information. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh we're just coming up and wrapping so why don't we go ahead and end with uh, the same question we always do which is uh what's a game <laughs> recommendation that you would uh, make to folks if you had to to pick your intella game a game that would give people you know mm. thought or understanding to what you prioritize in games
1: okay well we already talked about florence <laughs> so that, i'm glad we got that recommendation out there for sure um I guess okay, actually I do have two, so sorry. Uh, do I can I, I one's I can like a you, half game. I
0: can give you one and a brief one, but I feel like if I if I start <laughs> giving you multiple ones, the next thing you know we've got it, it's a it's a slippery slope generally. Yeah, we don't <laughs> like, want to
1: cause utter chaos in the IG right, universe.
0: Because totally <laughs> that is that would be the source of utter chaos in the world right now would be too, too many, many game many recommendations. Games.
1: Okay. But well, yeah,
0: what's uh what's up?
1: So, one is a full game release. So, I feel good saying that this is my game wreck, uh, and that it is Coffee Talk, and it is developed and published by Toki Productions. And what's really wonderful about this game, not only is it a very relaxing visual novel um, game about observing people and their conversations and interacting with them as the barista of a late night cafe, you also get to do latte art, which is extremely hard. So, I have the utmost respect for anyone who does latte art now for sure um but the pixel art and the chill hop soundtrack are just absolutely lovely um i think this game does a really interesting job of bringing up a lot of topics that are really important um and i think i would actually love to see it a sequel or a or more because it brings up so much that i would love to like even get more in depth into Um, but it's a fairly short game as well which is really nice i think i mean i played it fairly slowly and i still finished it under five hours which i always appreciate in a game where it kind of again feels like it respects my time a little bit also the development team is from indonesia and so there are lots of little elements that um i don't think you would find in a game created In the West, even just like beverages that are apparently more commonplace in Indonesia that I had never heard of, but are cafe staples probably. Um, So I thought that was really, really lovely. And it's just a really nice game to play. There are some heavier topics. So um, perhaps if you find you might be sensitive to something, an interracial couple dealing with their parents, for example, um, so you definitely want to maybe read a little bit about that if you find that you might be sensitive to some heavier topics, but, uh, r- they address it in a really sensitive way. So I think absolutely worth a play. Um, and the other game that's a game jam game and not a full release yet is called consume me and it is available on itch and it's a really wonderful title about, um, another intense title, sorry, I kind of went with the heavier ones about relationship with, um, body dieting and food. And it's developed by, uh, solo dev, uh, who goes by Qdork on itch.io. So if you look up, consume me, there are lots of mini games already out for just playing kind of like a flash games on itch. Um, but the full release of that game isn't coming until later. I don't think there's a date yet.
0: All right. Well, uh, Thank you for your time, Jenny, and uh, looking forward to seeing your work with the Intelli Game Club.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to get it started.
0: For all the folks out there who used to talk about how catering to marginalized voices wasn't, oh, I don't know, profitable, useful, popular, last few years of pop culture really the entirety of pop culture would say otherwise. Black and other marginalized voices have always been a dominant part of what shapes our popular culture, what gives us new creativity, new ideas, new drives. And in the game space, it's no different. Increasingly, game events have had dedicated physical spaces for marginalized groups to be able to show off the types of games and energy and creators that are important to them. And from any of those events that I've seen, They've been exceptionally popular, and really worthwhile. There is one event that is near and dear to my heart that I want to talk about today for our Director's Cut. This particular event? Game Devs of Color Expo out in New York City. I am still continually amazed and impressed by the work that Brooklyn Gamery and the rest of the organizers for Game Devs of Color Expo do every year. And this year, the convention is growing. It's usually a one day show, but this year there will be two days of Game Devs of Color Expo. And I honestly think it's one of the most restorative events that I attend over the course of the year. So today I'm going to do a reading of an article that I wrote before Game Devs of Color Expo 2019. I actually got to be a part of the show this year as a moderator for a panel, and I think that the reflection about what makes this space so important is worth thinking about. So without further ado, we need more spaces like Game Devs of Color Expo. I've been lucky to travel all over the country for various reasons, but I'd never managed to make it to New York City. I always imagined that it'd be too large, too crowded for me. I'm from the Midwest, and I like my trees and somewhat open spaces. But. When I found out about Game Devs of Color Expo a few years ago, I bought my first ticket, booked my flight. I've been a game journalist since 2009, covered an entire host of events, big and small. From local events like St. Louis's Pixel Pop Festival to national showstoppers like E3, I've seen a lot in the decade that I've covered games. What I didn't always see a lot of, though, were people who looked like me. When I first got started, I was pretty used to being the only black person in the room. In recent years, the game space has blossomed. A wider indie game scene, more accessible game development tools, and new ways to enter the media space have all meant that creators of all kinds have new opportunities to make what they love. Of course, these democratized tools mean that more creators of color now exist, making amazing games, YouTube channels, live streams, and more. Doesn't mean that it's always easy to find us, though it's still common to see all-white speaker panels for video game events like PAX, and it's even more likely at tabletop or analog game conventions. Front pages on streaming platforms are often full of white creators, unless it's something like Black History Month. In my experience, representation around race doesn't seem to be moving at the same speed as some other factors like gender or sexuality. And let's be clear... This is not a competition or a criticism of providing spaces for other marginalized groups. Our ability as an industry to create stronger, interesting, nuanced games and discussion comes from creating spaces where all sorts of marginalized groups feel welcome, safe, and can find community. It's a part of why Game Devs of Color Expo, in particular, is so important. Though the game space is diversifying, the industry itself, particularly the people in it with money and influence, is still overwhelmingly white. That means that even when there are other people of color in the game space, the tone, the discussion, the climate of the room frequently feels set to white. This effect often magnifies at the diversity panel. A half hour to hour long discussion where POC talk about how it's important to bring diversity to the game space, which most people nod along with. Then, catharsis achieved, the audience leaves to explore the rest of the multiple-day event. Now, when I first was getting started speaking at events, people would reach out to me to speak on their diversity panels, but not much else. It's an experience many of us have had around the industry. Tokenization. Please, come, explain racism, have free badge. Of course, the free attendance badge doesn't even always happen but Game Devs of Color Expo explicitly counters these habits. You know, one of the things that I'll admit I like about doing these director's cuts is that they remind me of sort of the mental state that I was in when I was putting an individual piece together. I feel like I was was feeling a little spicy. I was feeling a little confident when I wrote this piece. And honestly, I think for good reason. I would wanted to be a, a part of this show and have always felt a little, if I'm honest, like intimidated by the idea. There are some amazing creators who are part of the organizing body that puts on Game Devs of Color Expo. Sean Alexander Allen, Kat Small, just a, a host of people that I really respect and admire. On a slightly more personal note, Another reason that this space intimidates me is because I've traditionally grown up with this, I don't know, this stamp that I'm not black enough, so to speak, from my hobbies, the way I speak, the friends that I've had, some of the relationships I've been in. Um, it often, I, oft- I often feel at odds with the, the blackness that I know is part of my existence and my lived experience and the ways people perceive me, but also the ways that I feel like that blackness is sometimes a, a point of evaluation, um, a, a sort of, you must be this black to enter. It was one of the reasons that I was really thankful to be able to find an opportunity to coordinate and collaborate with other Black folks in the game space. I have always said, or at least always felt internally, that though we all may have different ways of expressing our, our racial identity, our Blackness, um, there are still so many ways to come together and to have a, a unifying thread. And I guess for, for me, being a part of this show, was um really important. Yeah, we we'll see if that one survives the edit floor. <laughs> uh back back to the piece. Game Devs of Color Expo is run by POC in the gaming space working in a variety of roles. It hosts panels and talks made up entirely of people of color, each talking about the work they've done, the projects they care about, their passions. Certainly, the struggles of being a person of color in the industry come up, but those challenges are a facet of the discussion, not the focus. Talks move beyond the 101 level, why is diversity important? style. Game Devs of Color Expo features a full show floor of games created by people of color. Video games, analog, experiential, it all has a place. Even as a journalist who tries to keep an eye out for games made by POC, I always discover new titles I had no idea about at the event. It's a space for hyper-polished indies and student projects alike, established designers, as well as neophytes. Beyond that, GDOC, as a convention, works to standards much larger, more financed events should be looking towards. Each panel and talk is live-streamed and archived, including live, on-site closed captioning. Gender-neutral bathrooms are clearly marked, and attendees can denote their pronouns and chosen names on their badges. Attendees can also opt out of being used in photographs or media by wearing a different colored lanyard. Code of Conduct is upheld by green-shirted volunteers who are readily available. Speakers are not only provided free attendance, but are also compensated for their time and expertise. The show sells tickets on a sliding scale based on financial need. These are just some of the ways the Game Devs of Color Expo practices intersectionality, addressing issues reaching beyond a single, marginalized group. Comparatively, larger events like the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco have only recently experimented with speaker compensation, and GDC still keeps many of its talks in the GDC vault, as they call it a pay-to-access video archive, though they have been releasing more of their talks to the public via YouTube than in the past. Events like E3 and PAX say that by attending the show and being on the show floor, you consent to being in any media by default. Though pronoun indicators are increasingly common at gaming events, Many times they're supplied by special groups like I Need Diverse Games or Gamer X at their individual booths instead of readily accessible, visible, and provided by the event itself. Uh, As a quick note, PAX South actually did have uh, pronoun stickers available at the info desk, and uh, kudos to that. Still, none of this speaks to the cost of attendance for many events. Industry events in particular, like GDC or DICE, can cost attendees thousands of dollars for full access. So, for all I feel that Game Devs of Color does for the industry, it also means a lot to me personally. I get to be surrounded by a host of other professionals of color, everyone expressing themselves in ways that they feel comfortable. The culture, the attitude feels relaxed, kind of like coming to a reunion. Some of this is probably because I'm used to being one of the only POC in white spaces. went to school in a majority white class, was raised in a majority white church, attended a majority white college. I mean, hell, I live in Portland, Oregon, which is really white. And though I loved my college, I love the city I live in and the friends that I've made, that doesn't change my thankfulness for spaces like Game Devs of Color Expo. Now, this year, I'll be part of the expo moderating a panel called Forging Your Path in Games. These panelists, Andrian Gabinegay, Aziza Brown, Dietrich Squinkefer, and Juan Vaca, have all done great work to make space for themselves in the game industry, and I'm happy for a chance to help them tell their stories. There's a lot of content packed into that one Saturday, including many other great panels, microtalks, and fantastic games to play. It's an experience that hopefully will recharge not only participants, but also attendees as well. In 2019, attacks against the other are ramping up around the world. Governments running on platforms of fear and scarcity attack people that they deem outsiders, stoking violence and intolerance. When we create spaces for those on the margins to thrive, everyone benefits from the creativity and energy in those spaces. People of color drive massive innovations in industries of all kinds, and gaming is no exception. Spaces like Game Devs of Color Expo are just one way to push back against that hate, showing what's possible when we're all given a chance to feel safe and succeed. You know, as I read the end of this piece, I think about the habit of how it's a little bit reflexive to justify the existence of a marginalized space by showing how it does benefit to everyone. And I think that that is slightly misguided. Yes, it is important to show like things that are good for marginalized folks aren't just good for marginalized folks. But I sometimes think that that undercuts the idea that it's okay for there to be a space just for marginalized folks, to have an opportunity to succeed and thrive and find enjoyment for themselves. The idea that we provide some sort of, like, here is the massive bounty in economic productivity and finance that we provide to the world at large, I I get it. But I think that that narrative comes from a long-standing history of of trying to figure out how to justify marginalized existence to majority culture, at some point in time we kind of also have to have that discussion of like it's okay for us to just have a thing for us too. There's a sort of just I think a base level of respect for people as human beings that is necessary to process that information. Yes, we want to focus on collective good, but we also have to recognize that collectives are not always about the one big macro hole. Though I think about an event like the Latinx and Gaming Lounge at PAX South and hear from Juan all of the fantastic ways that they were able to excite and invigorate this community of people at PAX South, many of whom were not Latinx, they also ran panels that were entirely in Spanish. I'm sure there were tons of conversations that various Spanish speakers, Latinx folks had with each other that had nothing to do with anybody other than themselves getting a chance to, to feel themselves, to feel comfortable in their own energy and to celebrate the work that they put in to get this phenomenal space at Pack South. Game devs of color, same thing. It's cool for folks to just enjoy the space. And we shouldn't have to justify (laughs) our existence. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just, for as many things as I'm frustrated by in 2020, there are many ways that I'm really thankful to be a creator in games, in this moment, where we have opportunities to find ourselves, to find our identity, to make the whole world better, but also to make things better for the people in ways that are unique and yet resonant. If you're looking for more information about Game Devs of Color Expo, you can head to their website, gamedevsofcolorexpo.com, or you can check them out on Twitter at GDOC Expo. Also, make sure that you mark July 10th and 11th on your calendar. You wanna be in Harlem for this event. I wanna be in Harlem for this event. It's a fantastic time. All right, so we all know the drill about social media and algorithms. Who knows whether you're gonna see your favorite content or the things that are gonna make you super upset or maybe somebody just wants to sell you toothpaste over and over again. That totally isn't a story from my personal Instagram, and I totally don't have a toothpaste subscription that I found on Instagram. Point of the story is, the best way for you to keep in touch about all of the things that are taking place within Intelligame is subscribing to our newsletter. If you go to intgm.us newsletter, you can sign up for either the Daily Intellipost, which is a small micro newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Monday through Thursday, or you can sign up for Intelligame Recap, which comes into your inbox on Friday and gives you the retrospective on what happened over the past week in Intelligame. My personal recommendation, Intellipost, because it comes with a free Intelligame Recap on Fridays, so you're not missing anything. Either way, would love to have you as part of the mailing list, so please sign up at intgm.us newsletter. Again, that's intgm.us newsletter. Alright, now if you didn't get enough of Jenny during the interview earlier, I have some good news. Jenny's going to be doing our Intelligame Radio game recommendations each week. She has a really comprehensive list of things that are going on in both the indie and AAA scene, and I really trust that she's going to be able to make some fantastic recommendations to the Intelligame community. If you want to find the work that she does in general, make sure you swing over to her YouTube page at youtube.com KimChika, or follow her on Twitch at twitch.tv KimChika.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the game recommendation segment of the podcast. This is Jenny, and I am really excited to be able to share with you each week a new game recommendation from something that I've been either keeping an eye on or playing. And really, I'm looking forward to getting the chance to not only share with you these recommendations, but honestly get a chance to reflect on the games that I'm playing and seeing what's really sticking out in my mind. Uh, It's a very fun exercise, and this week was especially fun because there was one game that, despite almost my best efforts, kept coming back in my mind as a game that I just had to recommend. So that is why this week we're going to start with talking about Arise A Simple Story. Arise A Simple Story is on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and on the Epic Store for PC. It's about the journey that an elderly man takes in between real life and what happens in the afterlife. You control him as he takes a journey through pivotal memories and experiences of his life. And as you play, you realize all of these experiences pivot around meeting and growing up and falling in love with his partner. This game is a love story. And anyone who's talked to me in real life or perhaps on stream knows that I am a person who has a sweet spot for emotional arcs Some of my favorite games of all time are Journey and Greece and To the Moon, so very much love stories for the most part, whether it's with another person or for yourself. And Arise a Simple Story is a love story, so for folks who are interested in this kind of game, hopefully that kind of hooks you right off the bat, but for folks who maybe aren't as into emotional arcs, or perhaps need a little bit more, I think the mechanic that this game has is extra intriguing because as you are journeying through each memory, you have to solve puzzles by manipulating time. You're fast-forwarding time to allow things to progress further, you're rewinding times to set them back to a different state, and you can control and platform with this elderly man as you manipulate time. What really makes this game stand apart from the rest of the pack for me is that not only is this mechanic just pretty smoothly done, but the visuals that happen as you manipulate time are absolutely stunning. This game truly invokes that sense of awe and plays with scale in a lot of really, really interesting ways. As you play the game, each memory or each stage is a season in this man's life. Each season comes with different environments and sort of quirks in the in the world. And so one particular area that stood out for me was what represented summer and joy. You play a person that's essentially the size of a bug, so kind of like Thumbelina, and you're in this beautiful sunflower field, and you start on the ground, but eventually are able to, by using bees as kind of little gliders and and hopping on flower petals and climbing up these stalks of the sunflowers end up at the top of this sunflower field. And being able to fast forward time and seeing the sun go across the sky and the flowers slightly tilt their heads toward the sunlight, that's a moment that's just absolutely breathtaking and in a game being able to control that moment for yourself and just enjoy the way that things move is such a wonderful feeling. Now to be honest I did go back and forth with recommending this game I alluded to that earlier. The game as I mentioned is a puzzle platformer and while the fast forward and rewinding mechanic is extremely fun I did find the platforming to be a little bit cumbersome. It responded more slowly than I usually prefer and I noticed that in particularly when hopping from one platform to the other as you're climbing you have to wait for the animation of the gentleman to reach all the way out you have to wait for it to finish and so for me having to wait took me a minute to figure out and so I kept falling at this one point that I really wasn't understanding why once I figured out that I just needed to let the game take its time everything worked out perfectly but Just as someone who enjoys platformers, I found it personally a little bit slow. I will say, I did play this game with someone not familiar with platformers. They felt like these controls were just fine. This game, while the love story is simple, it's beautifully done. It will tug at your heartstrings. There are a few mentions of death. And so if that's something that currently you are sensitive to and not wanting to experience in the media you consume, I do recommend perhaps reading a bit more of the specifics. But if you're looking for a game that is ultimately very hopeful and very beautiful, I I highly, highly recommend Arise a Simple Story. Oh, and before before I finish up, the one thing that really just brought this game sort of home to me, was in addition to having these beautiful worlds you get to explore and jump around in, there are these glowing orbs that are collectibles that end up being illustrations that further add context to the stories that you're seeing in each world. And so these illustrations that you collect are additional memories that are absolutely adorable. They look very much like watercolor Studio Ghibli illustrations. So really for this game... Honestly, listening to a podcast person talk about it is doing it a disservice. I highly recommend just watching the trailer, experiencing this beauty, and and hopefully trying to maybe pick it up yourself. So that is this week's game recommendation. Again, it's called Arise a Simple Story, and it is on PlayStation 4, the Epic Store, and Xbox One. I hope you enjoy it if you end up picking it up. And if you do end up picking it up, please let me know what you think. I will see you all and talk to you all next week with another game recommendation.
0: All right, folks, that does it for our first episode of the new season of Intelligame Radio. If you enjoyed what you heard here, I encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you happen to use. And also, if you could leave us a review, that would really help us. Do keep in mind that you can find more Intelligame content by swinging over to the homepage, Intelligame.us. And you can, of course, always find our live streams on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash Intelligame.us. We're on social media at Intelligame Us, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, if you want to help keep this going, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Intelligame Us. It's a great way to get involved and help keep this work going. We will see you next week, folks, on Monday. So until then, keep Intelligaming.